Welcome to the Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. Today's guest is Jamie Seglars at The Sorcery. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So you are, so we met pretty, probably like a couple months ago and we okay. hit it off and you guys basically cater on the HR side to similar clients that we cater to at Cruise Consulting, which are startups, mid-sized companies. You guys do a ton of recruiting for those kind of companies. Do you want to just kind of give your background and say what you guys do at The Sorcery? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the long and the short of The Sorcery is similar to Cruise Consulting as, as a company grows, there's different levers that they need to pull. Uh, around finance and accounting, and they need different things at different times. Uh, our business model is on-demand contract recruiting, anything from we need some additional sourcing support to we need a head of talent to do forecasting and reporting and process. Uh, and basically what we find with early-stage companies is that they don't need a full-time head of talent and a full-time sourcer and a full-time recruiter. They just need a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, and so that's what we provide for them. Yeah, and it's that being able to kind of outsource that a little bit for the clients, for the startups, and get someone who really knows what they're doing and doing it over and over again is a huge value add for them. That's, and, and the price point is probably really, really affordable. Yeah, that's, and you asked about my background earlier. Yeah. That's how I, why I saw value in the sorcery is that they were a previous channel partner of mine. Uh, I worked for a, a much larger recruitment process outsourcing company that did what we do at, at a much larger scale. Um, and what we found basically is that early stage companies, they need all of those little things, but they don't, they don't need it full time and they don't know that they, they necessarily need it. And still they, until they start getting raked over the coals with contingent agencies. Uh, and And so a contingent agency is what a contingent agency is a hostage negotiation between (laughs) a, uh, between a recruiter who, has a, a bunch of candidates and a CEO who's spending, you know, all day Friday and all day Saturday sourcing engineers because they don't, they don't yet have a recruiting solution. Uh, and so basically what, what we do is go to them and say, here's what we see as the problem. Uh, and here's the solution that we have. And by kind of creating an economies of scale and having, having multiple clients needing the same thing, we can create a much more competitive price point to, to be, cost sensitive for early stage companies that are looking out for their burn. Yeah. So like the normal seat. So like I'll kind of walk through an example. You can just tell me where the sorcery interjects themselves. And so I'm a CEO and we're growing super fast and we just raised a $10 million series a, like a really big series a. Hmm. And I, now the board has a lot of pressure on me to actually spend that money and grow. Like I told them we were going to grow like crazy this year. And so I'm sitting around and I have six engineers and one business person I realize I probably need to do some real serious hiring. That's where you guys come in, right? Bingo. Yeah. Um, We kind of break down that example into short-term and long-term things that need to get solved. So that same CEO, uh, something that he generally neglects when he puts uh, a slide in his board deck to go raise some money, and he says, we're going to hire 30 people next year, uh, (laughs) but he doesn't actually think through the org chart and how he plans on getting there, right? It's like a simple Excel toggle. It's like (laughs) we're from one to two a month, and we're good. Well, they call Cruise Consulting, and Cruise says 30, and then... We built the model for him so they could toggle the employee (laughs) growth really easily. Um, But Basically, the short-term problem is that we know that there are two to three hires immediately, and we can identify them, and we know where the gaps in our team are. The sorcery would send recruiting support to make an impact specifically on those roles. Uh, And then simultaneously, while that's happening, we'll have a conversation with the CEO or the COO 
about building out the headcount forecast and about building out some kind of back-end reporting so we know what's working and what's not, whether the hiring managers that are doing the interviewing are being effective or not. Um, the short-term fire needs to get put out pretty quickly, mm-hmm. uh, and then the broader goal is to help them understand you know, what the next 6 or 12 months are going to look like as they kind of go through that next stage of their company. You said something really interesting, like you give them feedback on what's working and what's not. Can you give some examples of like things that are working in a recruiting process or, or, or signs when things are not working very well? Yeah. I mean, there's a, a bit of a rabbit hole there that I'll try to avoid, yeah. but the... These are like real the, problems, though. These are yeah. real problems people have. And I, for the audience, because we see everyone's financials and we know what their financial model is supposed to be doing, every company lags on hiring. No matter how everyone says how aggressive they are and all this kind of stuff, people do not fill roles as fast as they should be filling those roles. And that's one of the reasons I want to have you on the podcast is like people are making these mistakes. And I also think your service is really valuable for these companies. So like walk them through some of the mistakes and things that work well, like what works well for hiring too. I mean, some of the mistakes I think are calling for recruiting support when you needed to hire the person on Monday. Um, (laughs) uh, Some some really easy, low-hanging fruit value that we add to our clients is when we look at the headcount forecast and then we provide them with data that just says – Hey, across all of our clients, the average time to hire for an engineer with six or more years of experience is 60 days. If you want to hire that person on September 1st, I suggest that you start hiring and start the recruiting process 60 days before that. Yeah. Um, and there's so much going on in the world of a CEO that that feel the need for the engineer that far in advance. Um, so just putting a little bit of awareness around it. Yeah. Um, once we're into the process, uh, to your point about helping them understand the model, what they don't think about is the the time cost and the opportunity cost of if we can just tell them, hey, look, your hiring manager interviewed the last 10 people and all 10 of them got axed, we need to start tweaking this, whether it's the salary bands, whether it's the questions that they're asking, whether it's the candidates that are getting put into the process, um, the job description might be written wrong, qualification questions on the phone screen might be wrong, what does the tech test look like? But in any case, if you're having your team interview that many people and someone's not there raising that red flag to tell you that all 10 of them got axed, um, the sooner that you can identify that problem and start creating a a solution to it, the more efficient your little talent function is going to start running. So you made a really good point there. Like unintentionally or intentionally, sometimes the process isn't set up right or the demands and the job description are too high or the person who's doing the interviewing is not doing a very good job or maybe they maybe there's a lot of people they liked but they can't get anyone to accept the offer i mean do you see that kind of stuff too constantly part of our job is not to be a magic bullet and you know we're we're not god's gift to recruiting what we're doing isn't rocket science mm-hmm. um to a certain extent recruiting is kind of a, a time and attention thing right you need someone to work the model and you know to spend time going out and finding candidates and putting awareness around some of that simple stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes that means when you're talking to a CEO, like, Hey, your brand's not as hot as you think it is. (laughs) Uh, And you know, Hey, your, your space is more saturated than you thought. Here's some feedback from these candidates. Um, We're not, we're not God's gift and we're not, we're not planning to be. So sometimes that means giving kind of some tough love to the CEOs and letting them know if you want to get the caliber of people that you say you want. Here's where we suggest you are salary-wise. Um, here's what we see in market. Um, and that, you know, we talk to a lot of people. And so a lot of our value is is just gathering that data yeah. and feeding it back to them. Yeah, you can see across many different hiring processes. That's yep. super valuable. What are some things that 
candidates can do to make them more, make themselves more appealing or perform better in a process? Like, how do you? You guys are doing a lot of screening, it sounds like, and finding people. But how do how do you? How, you know, to the audience out there, how do they get do a better job of expressing who they are, why they're a fit for the job, and, and just getting your attention? From the candidate side, I think sincerity is is number one, right? There's a lot of noise out there. I think that when candidates try to be something that they're not and it comes off as anything but sincere, uh, that's the easiest way to get exited from the interview process. Mm-hmm. Uh, CEO is much more likely, at least in my, in my experience, much more likely to work with someone that knows where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. Um, the CEO can go into an engagement with a new employee, eyes wide open, and knowing where they're going to need support. That is a much better situation than a candidate who's trying to act like more than they are, and thus they come off a little bit untrustworthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And that's a pretty quick way to, to not get yourself a job yeah, offer. Yeah. What about um, diverse, diversity and gender diversity, like you know, attracting women engineers, minority engineers, like... How do you guys approach that problem? How do you help your clients satisfy? I mean, every, I think, especially we're, you know, in this day and age, most, almost every single startup wants diversity because it does make you stronger. It makes you smarter as a group. How do you attract those kind of clients, those kind of candidates and really kind of make sure that they're not getting axed unintentionally throughout the process? So to avoid the HR aspect of, of, talking about gender specific people or uh or cultural specific people we focus a lot more on diversity of background mm. um we talk to a lot of ceos that say i have to have you know 4.0 college grads and they can only come from mit and harvard <laughs> uh and the first thing to do is to give them a bit of a reality check that that's probably not going to happen um and the second thing to do is to help them understand the risk that they're putting themselves at by having people that all think alike and they're yeah. just kind of like they're creating an army of yes men within their company. Um, there's an interesting article that I read uh, and it was a, a, it was focused on medical recruiting, but it was talking about how the bottom 90% of Ivy League graduates get published less in like scholarly journals than the top 20% of the UC grads in the medical. Um, And if you just present that data to someone and say, look, you only want someone from the Ivy League, but do you realize that there's this incredible batch of people over here that you're neglecting? And that opens up their mind to the fact that there's more out there that they're that they're letting go because yeah. they're so pigeonholed into yeah. thinking that they know it all. Yeah. Sorry to any of those CEOs that have that problem. <laughs> well, as a UC grad, I'm glad you stuck up for UC. <laughs> uh, what do you do in your process? Do you do anything special to, aside from educating the CEOs about what kind of people they should be looking for? Like, do you do double blind, you know, interviews or anything like that? Or how do you guys manage for that? So there's no, there's no, I said it earlier, but no silver bullet within recruiting, right? The the main difference of the sorcery compared to your average contingent hostage situation recruiting firm <laughs> uh, is that we're simply working as an extension of your team and on your behalf. So that's everything from managing the job postings, reaching out to candidates, and presenting qualified and interested people to the hiring managers. We're, we're invoicing for our time. There's no success fee, so there's no ulterior motive for us. I didn't know that. Um, there's no ulterior motive for us to push candidates forward that are mm-hmm. anything below par. Can you talk about that and how that's different than traditional kind of paying a recruiter on a bounty? You know, I think that's really interesting that your your incentives are different than a typical recruiter. Yeah, so a, a typical recruiter is going to push for as high of salaries as possible and as low of a bar as possible because they want a 
commission check that is based off of the percentage of someone's salary. So if they can get you to accept anybody with a low bar, and if they can get you to pay that person astronomical salaries, then their commission check is going to be higher, mm-hmm. right? And it's easier to, to attract someone to a job that, with a higher salary. Right. Yeah. The main difference there is that it's very transactional. You're not actually building any sort of talent function, and you're not really at all invested in the growth of the company. Uh, you just want your placement fee. Yeah. Um, the sorcery's goal is to be a long-term partner to its clients to help you fill these couple of priority roles. Uh, and then once we do right by you and we fill those priority roles and we help you understand what the rest of the talent function should look like, once we fill those roles, there will be new roles behind it and we'll continue to grow with you as as your recruiting function mm-hmm, mm-hmm. up until the point that it's our job to hire you an internal recruiter Uh, hire ourselves out of a job, but to make you the world's best referral source for us. We do the same thing. So you guys charge on an hourly basis, like you're actually billing time? Is that how it works? Um, We bill bill for our time similar to, you know, CFO consultancy. And then there's kind of a a scope of work that goes into what we should focus on in the short term, what the long-term goals are. Uh, And generally it's not X number of hours a week just to be our recruiter. Um, there's very short-term, very specific needs that they need, right? We want to put X number of hours a week of recruiting resource against mm-hmm. these two roles. Um, and that's that's typically how our engagements yeah. start because um, they know exactly what they need. That makes total sense. Maybe can you give the audience a little bit background on you? Like we kind of jumped into like the sorcery and exactly what you guys do. and sort of, But like to tell the audience how you land at the sorcery and why you love it so much. Yeah. I touched on it a little bit earlier, but I... I started my career in exactly the people that we sell against right now, which is... It makes you a very effective (laughs) salesperson. uh, It's the contingent hostage negotiation, throwing a bunch of unqualified resumes at a hiring manager situation. That was how I got into the recruiting industry out of college. Um, I spent the last several years working for a larger, uh, what's called RPO, which is Recruitment Process Outsourcing. It's 200 person companies that don't have anything in recruiting uh, and we would drop a full team on site um, and I developed a great channel partnership with the person that is now my boss at the sorcery Jessica oh. and she was doing what we were doing uh, but she was doing it for you know seed through series B companies uh, with this kind of toggle on demand levers that could get pulled to give them the support that they needed in my previous company, there was a lot of overkill. You know, there, there wasn't a need for a full-time revamp of the process when you were just a 25-person company that needed to make two engineering hires. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit of overkill. I built a good channel partnership with Jessica. Um, and we were actually out to lunch a couple of months ago celebrating, or not a couple of months ago, long, way longer than that, celebrating like yet another client that I had referred to her. And she kind of gave me the, the lowdown on what she was doing and who her client base were. Uh, and, and it, it just was a great fit for kind of the combination of my experiences to start working with her. And the reason that I love it is because when I started with them, they had, you know, an incredible client base of happy customers, uh, but they didn't have anybody that spent any more than, you know, 5% of, of the time that was Jessica at the time going out and trying to find new clients. Um, and that, that alone let me know that they were really onto something, you yeah. know, that they were adding, they were adding value. They were at the right price point. They were yeah. filling a gap in market. Uh, and so now it's just a, a matter of kind of growing the business. Yeah, that's cool. So you're doing a lot of like channel development and reaching out to people and just making sure people know the sorcery story. 
Yeah, I mean, this isn't something that's a direct sales thing, right? There are a lot of a lot of service providers, a lot of people that that work with these companies and add value for for companies that don't yet need a full time this or a full time that. And our goal is to do right by them and to build a network of companies that add similar value that are kind of parallel partners. And if there's so much business out there and the economy's you know on its way up, that that there's plenty of a need for what we do and my joy is talking with people that, that hear our model and say, holy hell, you guys are doing something that I haven't yeah. heard before. Yeah. And it's, you know, when I tell them about a couple of our success stories, it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I can totally relate because you have a very similar business model to us. And, and I know. And I also like the fact that you're willing to hire hire yourself out of the job. We do that all the time. And people are kind of like shocked when we were like, hey, totally cool. You've grown up. We always say like you, you're going off to college, Mr. or Mrs. Entrepreneur, and it's time for you to hire someone full time. Yep. And I think it's, it's refreshing to them that you're willing to do that. Maybe we can, you can cover a couple of like mistakes or tips for entrepreneurs, like just general stuff that you've seen that they can take away from the podcast. Like you know how how do they not do not make the same mistakes everybody else? How do they avoid that? Aside from calling you guys and working with you, obviously <laughs> that's the first step. But what are some tips that entrepreneurs can take away from this? The biggest one I touched on it earlier is not just taking the two minutes to think about what they need before it becomes such a burning pain point that it's that it's actually causing them pain. Yeah, um, they got so much going on uh, that that it's not surprising and it's obviously not their fault with everything else going on. But that would be the first one is to just take, you know, a minute and, and think about that. The for being proactive instead of reactive, yeah. which and is always challenging for a startup CEO. Sure. But, and we see it too. They're very reactive, but that's because they have a lot of things coming at them. And, but I think getting that separation away from the business for a second or a day or an hour and being able to understand exactly what your hiring needs are going to be is super valuable. I mean, do you guys do like a, a quick like consultation or something like that to help them. Cause I feel like they can, it's easier for them to do that if they can take a step out and meet with someone and actually hear how to do that. Yep. We have the same issue. Like people's come to us and their financials are a total mess, but they usually don't come to us until either a board member has been gotten super pissed off or they couldn't get money because you know, from a bank or something like that. Or because someone told them they need to kind of get their act together and come talk to us. I mean, do you guys do those cons- con- yeah. kind of consultations? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, aside from it being a channel development aspect for us, yeah. uh, it's a huge value add to companies that are like one stage too early to need to work with us. Mm-hmm. And to be quite frank, it's a much more enjoyable way of, of us building a business. Yeah. Um, to, to do right by people and to give them suggestions that are other than you should work with us. Um, and get them to the point that it then makes sense for them to work with us, right? So um, there's kind of recruiting 101 tips that we have for, you know, teams that are sub-8 or sub-10 people of how to how to market map their network mm-hmm. and leveraging their investors. And mm-hmm. What are some of those, like, what are some, what for? because we have a lot of clients that have five employees or 10 employees. Like, what are a couple of those, like, little tips for those guys? Yeah, I mean, the first one is that the rule of thumb is that everybody in the company is a recruiter, right? That's, a good, um, that's really, really good. And yeah. that 
when you can have that mindset and you let everyone know that the most crucial thing that we can do is bring the right people onto our team and that we're going to rat on a money if we don't keep on building the product. <laughs> um, and at that point in time, it doesn't make sense to work with any outside provider. We need to roll up our sleeves and we need to be scrappy and do yeah. this ourselves. Um, so let's make a list of all the alma maters of all of the, the, the universities that our employees went to. Um, let's reach out to all those schools, see where those people are working now that, you know, all the CS degrees from XYZ University. Um, the same thing for all of the investors and make sure that they have, you know, like you're hounding them, right? Like here are the job postings that we're looking for. If you have a head of talent internally at your venture firm or if you know anybody that I should talk to that's a head of talent that can help me write these job descriptions. Um, I think going back to your original question about mistakes that a CEO would make is that generally in market recruiting, I mean, there's no getting around the fact that it's a low barrier to entry industry for people to get into. And what that creates is a lot of bad recruiters that give the rest of the industry a bad reputation. Uh, and so CEOs see all of that bad messaging, all of those bad recruiters in market, and they just shut it off altogether and think that they can do it themselves. Um, I would suggest to those people to shut off the noise, but to find the one or two people that can be a partner that they can lean on. Yeah. Even if it's not leaning on them for work, but just leaning on them for support and for ideas, yeah. um, you know, someone to come in that's a friend of yours, that's a recruiter to help you write the job description, to show you where to post it, how to post it. You know, I typically suggest sooner rather than later that they get an applicant tracking system in place to mm -hmm. at least filter and keep track of candidates and resumes. Um, you know, the person that applies to you now that's underqualified a year from now, they're going to have a year more experience and they could be perfect for a job that you don't know you're going to have open yet. So, you That's know, a really great one, too. Yeah, we don't really do that, but we need to start doing that. Well, I mean, they have there's some incredible automation that comes now with a lot of these applicant tracking systems that you can tie it into marketing campaigns and newsletters. And I mean, at the Sorcery, we have 150,000 Bay Area candidates in our pool, right? Um, and once a quarter, we can send out a newsletter to those people just letting them know what we're up to. Uh, and the exact same thing can happen for an internal company that they keep track of all those people that applied. And then once a quarter, they can send out a big blast of all their job openings. Um, it's no different than kind of how marketing supports sales campaigns. Uh, but again, if the CEO thinks that they know it all and they don't, they don't, they're not even open to listening to those yeah, ideas. Yeah. You're right, though. That's a modern approach to like how sales is done, and why wouldn't you do that for recruiting, too? Bingo. Like a drip campaign, build a database, all that kind of stuff. That makes total sense. Yep. Awesome. Is there anything else that you see people out there just like totally... I mean, we could do like a two-hour podcast on this probably. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are, what, is there something else where it's like, uh, maybe, maybe something for kind of the 20 to 50 employee company? Like, what are some issues that they... Because we have a lot of clients that are series, late Series A, Series B, 20 to 50 employees... And there's that second layer where now the CEO may not be be doing as much of the recruiting. There's a whole other layer of people who are doing recruiting and filling open job specs. Like, what do you see there? Yeah, so uh, in that instance would be where I would tell you very directly to use the sorcery. But in an effort to uh, to avoid working with the sorcery, I would I would simply say that it's time to have a little bit more of a conversation about how you plan on building out the talent function internally. Mm -hmm. The way that we partner with companies to do that is typically at kind of the 30, 40 employee range. They at least have like an admin, an office manager, an ops person. Mm -hmm. And that's the person internally that 
can take down all the job specs, can do first round, like very light phone screens with candidates, can make sure the jobs are refreshed. Um, there's things that need to get done around recruiting, especially with how hot the market is yeah. in the Bay Area, um, that someone just needs to take the time to be on top of candidate feedback, to give responses to candidates, to move fast. Um, just like in sales, time kills all deals. Uh, and you know you, you better believe that a good engineer is going to have other offers. So if you just kind of rest on your laurels thinking that this person you know wants us so bad that they're going to wait around for me to get my act together uh you'd be sorely yeah. mistaken <laughs> <laughs> awesome those are really good tips. so maybe you can kind of tell um tell the audience a little bit about where they can find the sorcery how they can get a hold of you kind of how you walk into a new client i, sure. I like the consultation aspect because we do the same thing we'll talk to people for free and if we can't it will always be able to give them a lot of tips and if they're not a fit we'll tell them they're not a fit but we'll always leave them with a few things yeah well where you could find me is that our physical office is about a block from here is on first and market in downtown san francisco we work with companies i think probably 70 percent of our clients are based in san francisco um, but with that said they're hiring in offices and expanding all across the country so we have open roles in la up in seattle columbus ohio new york wow um like our model of just putting resources against roles and going out and reaching out to candidates. Um, there's a little thing called LinkedIn, and they have you know a, like an area code aspect to their search, which allows us to you know get as specific as we need to. The way we typically get started with a client is generally referrals, um, but the way that that first conversation typically goes is us understanding what you need. If there's a fit, the CEO generally knows the one or two roles that they need to get filled, uh, and they know that they're not the right solution and they need someone to do it. Um, but that same CEO also has hesitation around hiring an internal, really robust recruiting function because six months from now, he might not have any hires or enough hires to justify keeping on an internal recruiter. Yeah. And that that's the, the opportunity that we're filling is to be a stopgap solution mm -hmm. and, and to help them for as long as they need. Uh, and if all goes well and they continue to grow, then we can grow with you and we can hire ourselves out of a job. Um, but if for whatever reason you need to put a pause on hiring, you're not left holding, you know, a couple of full-time employees. Um, so that's really it. I mean, it, it starts with a pretty lightweight conversation around what they're going through, what they've tried so far, some advice around how to fix it. Um, and either they want us to fix it for them or they want to talk to us in a couple months if they're, if they're unsuccessful doing it themselves. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Maybe you could tell everyone where to find you on the web and what's your email address sure. too. Um, so the website is pretty simple, www.thesorcery.com. Um, Such a cool name. I love the name. Yeah. It, uh, you know, we, we need to like teach people to do magic or something though, to, to go along with it. <laughs> Your logo should be like a wizard's hat <laughs> or something. Um, and then I'm just Jamie at thesorcery.com, J-A-M-I-E. And that's really it. I mean, I, I get a lot of pleasure out of having those kind of pro bono scoping conversations about what else you could be doing that you're not currently doing. And if the sorcery is a fit, then great. If not, nothing wrong with building the network and adding a little, a little value. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Tons of good tips. Really appreciate it. And Jamie Seglars at The Sorcery. You can find them on the web or just email Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate it. Very cool. Thank All you. Right, man. Thank you. Take care.